Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. First Samuel chapter 17. You know, I've just been talking about, you know, we live in times of uncertainty now. You don't know what you're going to see on the news when you wake up in the morning. You don't know when you're driving down the road what news flash is going to come on. You don't know when you're watching TV and it says breaking news. You don't know what's going to happen. We live in times of uncertainty and there's, it's just going to increase. It's going to increase, but, you know, we don't want to lose heart over these things. You know, like I always say, every day is a day closer to the coming of the Lord and we're going to see greater uncertainty. But we need to be certain in times of uncertainty. We need to be certain of who we serve, who we know, and who is our God. We may not be sure of the immediate future, and details of things that are going to happen. But we do know, we need to be certain of the big picture. And that God is in control. And to be assured of his greatness and of his goodness. And that his plans will prevail regardless of what man tries to do. God will have his way. You know, there's many things that we're uncertain about or not expecting. We've been talking about Joshua the last few weeks. Now, Joshua wasn't expecting Moses to die at that time because it says that Moses was actually in good health. His eyes were not dim, but it was time for him to go and the Lord took him. So that would have been a time of uncertainty for Joshua. But he was certain that God was going to take care of the details and that God was going to be with him. Because God came and reiterated to him and strengthened his faith. He said, be of good courage. I'm with you. I'm not going to let you down. I will be with your help. You know, when Abraham was told by God to leave where he was living, the Ur of Chaldees, in Genesis chapter 12, when God said, I want you to get out of the land of your fathers and go to a place that I will show you. That was a time of great uncertainty. He didn't give any details. He just says, get out of this place and I'll show you where you're going to go. That was a time of uncertainty. But then after that, God said, I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. So there was the assurance or the certainty that God was going to be with you. So even in the midst of uncertain situations, you can be certain that God will be with you. Okay? Things that are happening on the outside represent uncertainty. But what is on the inside represents certainty. Our faith, our trust, our hope in God. Okay? So, let's have a look at, um, I just want to do a brief study tonight of three different characters who were in kind of uncertain situations but had their trust in God. And in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Here we've got a story about just a simple guy. He's a shepherd boy, okay? A young, young adult, young guy. A young shepherd. And he's bringing supplies to his brothers um, who are on the front line fighting in the army of Israel. Interestingly, they're fighting against the Philistines. 
and the very region that there's problems right now. Israel right now, the armies of Israel and actually the armies in that Philistine region are right now having the same sort of conflict. So it's, I mean, and this was hundreds of years ago. So about 3,000 years ago, actually. So in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we see the story of David. Now he's been called out of the fields. He's been anointed as the new king, but he's still the young shepherd boy, still taking the supplies to his brothers up on the front line. He's not the king yet. He's still young David. So let's go to verse 21. It says, For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, and ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. And then as he talked with them, there was a champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. And so David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, the giant, they fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. And so here you've got um, a scene, an army facing an army, and the giant, their champion, challenging the army of Israel. And all the guys are scared. It says, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So here you've got incredible uncertainty, incredible uncertainty with this, uh, with the army, great fear. And then of course, David goes and says to um, King Saul, look, you know what? If they don't want to fight him, I will. And Saul responds back to him in verse, let me see, verse 32. David said to the king Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. I mean, he must have just, he must have had a, a surge of righteous indignation. Now it's like, who is this giant coming against the armies of God? He didn't say the armies of Israel. He said the armies of the living God. And so David gets this gift of faith, this gift of righteous indignation, rise up and he's saying, look, I'll fight this guy. I'll fight him. In verse 33, Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight, against, fight with him. You are but a youth. And he, a man of war from his youth, he's saying, David, you're just a kid. This guy's a champion. He's been fighting battles since he was a kid. You've got no hope. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took the lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. 
And moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the poor of the lion and from the poor of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. See, in the midst of all this uncertainty, David was certain that God would deliver him. He said he's done it before, he will do it again. And you can be surrounded by uncertainty and people who are full of fear. But if you remember what God has done for you before, you will have that certainty that he will do it again. And that's what David had. He said, he has delivered me and he will deliver me. Saul, on the other hand, was certain that David was going to fail. Interesting, isn't it? Saul was certain that David would fail. But David was certain that he would prevail because God was with him. He said, he will deliver me. He had that certainty. He will deliver me. And then, of course, we know the story. Saul tries to give him his armour. Doesn't fit. Takes it off. And he chooses God's armour instead. God's covering. The invisible armour of God that covered him was what he put his trust in. And off he went with his sling and five smooth stones. And he took care of Goliath. <coughs> in, let's go to verse 45. So David says to the Philistine, the Philistine has just basically said, I'm going to kill you, kid. He threatens him. He challenges him. And he says, I'm going to kill you. I will kill you. And then in verse 45, does David back down? Does he become uncertain? Does he get gripped with fear? No, he doesn't. Out of his mouth, he says this, verse 45, David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day, I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Awesome. Wow. He was certain that God was going to give him the victory. And he prophetically basically declared what was going to happen. He said, I will do this, and God will do this. And I will do this, and God will do this, and God will give you into our hands. Not into my hands. By the end of it, he's saying into our hands, which I thought was very gracious of him. Very gracious of him. Because all the army guys were like, whoa, look at David. You know? <laughs> Can you imagine? They're probably thinking, gee, I hope this works, or we're going to have to run very fast. Okay? But of course, we know what happens. Instead of them running in fear, David ran towards Goliath, and he won the victory. God 
did bring the victory to him. And what was the result of this? Was Saul very grateful and happy? No, he actually got jealous. He got threatened. And then over the next series of chapters, you'll find out that he became very angry and vindictive. And then he tried to take David's life, you know. But God was with him all the way. Okay, the next one I want you to look at is in Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. I'll give you a little background about David. I mean about Daniel. Now these were just young men. God used them mightily. Daniel chapter 1. So first of all, David was just a shepherd. But he was certain that God was with him. He was certain that God was with him. He said, he will deliver you into my hands. Okay, what about Daniel? Daniel was a young man. He was taken captive and, uh, by the king of Babylon when he besieged Jerusalem. And he took many, many captives with him into the 70-year captivity. And Daniel was one of those. So he's a captive in a foreign land. And then this king wants to take, he took the cream of the crop. He took, you know, the excellent ones, basically. And so he wants to use them to boost his own economy and boost his own household and his land. And so we look in verse 4. The king is instructing one of his men to get these young men from Israel. Verse 4, he says... Young men in whom there was no blemish, but good looking, I don't know why they had to be good looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's powers, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And, and then in the next verse it says that basically they were treated well, they were given all the best food, and they were trained for three years. So basically they're kind of trying to brainwash them. They're trying to educate them in the culture of Babylon, which is now Iraq. Okay, It's modern day Iraq. So you can imagine that this is where Daniel and his friends are. And they've got this three years of special training not only were they trained in the language and the culture of that land, but they also had their names changed. You know, can you imagine? You'd have a bit of an identity crisis. You know, Errol, if somebody started calling you Harry, it would be kind of strange, wouldn't it? You'd have a bit of an identity crisis. And then they changed your language. They started making you speak Swiss, changed your name to Harry, and started teaching you how to make Swiss cheese. You know? That would be kind of weird. But there was just a, a certainty in these young men. And there was Daniel and his three friends. I'm going to talk about the three friends. Um, let's go over to verse 17. What else does it say about them? So Daniel and his three friends, these four young men. Verse 17 says, As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. The thing is, this verse is put there to show that they recognised 
that God had given them these abilities. So they are very God conscious. They're not just thinking, well, we're smart guys. They're not just thinking that we're talented, we're gifted. Hey, that's just me. No, they are acknowledging that God has given them these special abilities. So they knew that God was with them. So let's turn over now to chapter 3. So you see the kind of uncertainty that's in their lives. They're in a foreign land, they're being taught another language, they're being taught another culture, they're eating different foods. Everything is different and uncertain. They don't know what their future holds, if they're ever going to get back to Israel. So there's a lot of uncertainty. But one thing is, they were certain of their God. They had a strong relationship with their God. And this king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, was a very prideful man. And he built this huge statue of like 90, 100 feet tall of himself in gold. And he wanted everyone to bow down and worship the image of the idol of himself. And he said, if anyone doesn't bow down, when the music starts to play, if you don't bow down, <coughs> I'm going to throw you into that fiery furnace. So the punishment was death. So let's have a look over in Daniel chapter 3. And some of the, um, these, these three young men have been um, promoted basically. They've got positions of authority and responsibility. <coughs> in verse 12, there was people who were jealous of them. Verse 12, it says, There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. And so the king gets very, very angry. And he calls them in and he says, I want you to bow down and to worship. If you don't, in verse <coughs> Sorry. The end of verse 15, he says, If you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? So he's basically saying, Who can save you? Who can save you? What God will save you? Who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? He's saying, I and sovereign in this situation. But the three of them said in verse 17, if this is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. Wow. That was very, very bold of them. Because he said, who can deliver you? And they said, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. So what are they saying? They are not saying he will deliver us from the fiery furnace. They are saying he is able to, and he might. But even if he doesn't, he's still going to deliver us out of 
your hands because you are not in control of us. God is in control of our lives. Interesting. Very interesting. They didn't say he will deliver us from the fiery furnace. They said he will deliver us from you, from your control, from out of your hands. And then, of course, we know the story. King gets really mad. They turn up the heat seven times and they cast these three guys into the fire. And then in verse 24, here they are in the fiery furnace. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counsellors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. In other words, yes, we did. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the fourth, the form of a fourth is like the Son of God. That's powerful. Absolutely powerful. How would he know what the Son of God looked like? He thinks he's God himself. And yet... Something happened. Something happened. He looked and he's like, we threw three in there. They're all walking around. They're not burning up. They're walking around. And the one of them looks like the Son of God. And so in verse 26, So he went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace, and he spoke. I mean, they're in the middle of the fire, and he's standing there talking to them while they're in this furnace. And he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Servants of the Most High God. He knew who they served. He knew who their God was. And he's just realized that the Most High God is actually Most High, way above him, way above all these false gods. And then so... They bring them out of the fire. It says their bodies were not burned. The end of verse 27. They saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair on their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Wow. That is so powerful. So what was the result of this um, event? Nebuchadnezzar in verse 28, he says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel, delivered his servants, who trusted in him. I mean, he's declaring this. God has delivered them because they were certain that he would. They trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word. <coughs> in other words, I was certain that there was no hope for these guys, and yet they have frustrated my word. They've yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. So here, you don't. David was saying, "God will deliver me. He will deliver me." But in this case, they are saying, "God is able to deliver us." And he might deliver us out of this fire, but he will deliver us 
out of your control. So there was still that measure of certainty, the measure of certainty. And then the result was this man began to believe in God. Let's have a look at one more example here. In the book of Acts, chapter 6. Book of Acts, chapter 6. And this man's name is Stephen. Acts, chapter 6. Now, what's the background with Stephen? We had David the shepherd, the young man. We had Daniel the captive in a foreign land. And now we've got Stephen. And Stephen has been chosen to take care of some of the administrative affairs in the early church. Okay, in Acts chapter 6 and verse 3, there was a lot going on with widows and Paul and some of the apostles wanted, the, um, wanted them taken care of. They wanted to take care of the prayer and the word themselves, so they had to choose a group of people who would take care of the administration. Verse 3. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So they were taking care of the spiritual aspects, the prayer and the ministry of the word. And these other, this other group was to take care of the administrative day-to-day -day stuff. But they still had to have a good reputation, full of Holy Spirit and wisdom. And so they chose um, Stephen, who was um, in verse 5, it says, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and then it tells you the others. And what they did, they laid hands on them, they sent them out. Verse 7, the word of God spread, the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. And so you think that, wow, this is great. You'd be certain, wouldn't you, that everybody would think this is really good. That the word of God is going out, that miracles are happening, and Stephen is being used by God. In verse 10 it says, They were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. So he's got wisdom, he's got faith, he's full of the Holy Spirit, and he's speaking the word of God, and then people get upset. The religious people get upset, and then they haul him in before the council, and they start telling lies about him. They start saying things about him that are not true and blaspheming him. And then he has to stand before the council and give an account of what he's saying. And in verse 15, have a look at it. It says, And all who sat in the council looked steadfastly at him. They saw his face as the face of an angel. So as he was speaking, it was like the anointing, the light of God was just coming out of him. As he was standing there, and he begins to speak. And in chapter 7, pretty much most of chapter 7, is about what God has done from the very beginning for his people. And, that he, and um, Stephen's actually challenging the old ways and the traditions. And as he's doing this, they're getting angrier and angrier. Because he's full of the Spirit, he's speaking the truth of God. 
And they get very, very, very angry. And then when we have a look down in verse 54, chapter 7, verse 54, he's basically saying, you have always, like your forefathers done, resisted God. You're resisting God. You're stiff-necked and you're rebellious. And you're resisting God. And so in verse 54, it says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now you would think, if he's having a vision, an open heaven vision, and saying, look what I can see, they'd be going, whoa, that's awesome. I wish I could see that. But they're so angry. They don't really care about God or the things of God. They just want to be right and do things their way. And when he's challenged it, they're threatened. So in verse 57, it says, Then they cried out with a loud voice, they stopped their ears, and they ran at him with one accord. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God. What was he saying to God? Lord, deliver me, help me, help me, get me out of this. No, he didn't say that at all. He said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. See, he was seeing Jesus. His focus was on Jesus. It wasn't on being delivered out of that right now. It was being with the Lord. He said, Lord, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down. And he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So here we see another trial. You know, David was in a trial, a situation against the giant Goliath. Daniel was in a trial in a foreign land and being threatened by the, the leader that, you know what, if you don't submit, then we'll throw you in the fire. And here we have Stephen, and he's on trial basically with his own people, but he's telling the truth. And in the midst of this trial, in the midst of this trial, he didn't cry out for God to deliver him. He didn't say, God will deliver me. But you know what? God did deliver him. He delivered him out of the place of suffering in that sin-filled, hate-filled place. And he delivered him straight into heaven. You know, sometimes we don't think of that as being God's deliverance. But in certain situations, it is. It is God's deliverance. He didn't ask for God to deliver him, but God delivered him anyway. And Stephen was the first Christian martyr. He was the first Christian martyr. Interestingly, you know, one door closes and another door opens. That door closed and the door of heaven opened for him. Door of heaven opened for him. What was the result? That young man Saul, who was standing there and who was in agreement with Stephen being stoned, later that young man Saul became Paul. 
and he realised what had happened. He agreed with what was happening at the time, but later he realised what was going on. So what do we learn from all this? You know, we see that God delivers. He will bring a certainty in times of uncertainty. He might deliver you out of a trial totally. He may cause you to escape the situation. Or he may be with you in the middle of that situation. Like David, he was in the middle of a situation and God delivered him out of it, but he didn't go hand-to-hand combat with the giant. He stood at a distance and he flung a stone. And sometimes God delivers us out of a situation by keeping us at a distance so we're not threatened or we're in any harm. Didn't fight him close up. There's times when God delivers us when we're in the midst of a trial. Like the three young men in the, in the furnace, they were right in the middle of it and yet they were unharmed. And sometimes we can be in a situation that can be very dangerous or kind of scary or uncertain. But we can be certain that God is with us and he will do impossible things. You know, you may be facing impossible situations or uncertain situations, but you can be certain that God will be with you. He may not take you out of it, but he may go through it with you and be in it with you, in the fire with you. He was in the fire with those three guys and they were not hurt. Sometimes we're in the middle of things and we think, God, what's going on? But he's there with you and he'll bring you out of it. And there's other times when he will deliver us out of trials as well and remove us to another place. You can be in a a situation in your workplace or there can be family situations going on and you don't know how to deal with things. But God will deal with the uncertainty. He will deal with the uncertainty as long as you remain certain and assured that he's with you. We are not to be shaken by things that are going on around us, things we can't change. Like when you read the newspaper, when you watch the news, when you hear reports, there's a lot of uncertainty on the outside, but we need to have certainty on the inside of us so we're not shaken. Because there will be trials, but even in the middle of it, God will deliver us. He will deliver us out of it. He will deliver us in it or he will deliver us through it. But he will deliver us. Amen. Amen. Let's go for the last verse to Joshua. Joshua in chapter 24. This is a famous verse. Let's go to verse 14 before we go to the famous one. It says, Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. So he's telling them, make a decision. Be certain 
who you follow. Don't be swallowed up with uncertainty and follow false gods. Follow the Most High God. And then in verse 15, he says, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But then he makes this statement. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my family, he's saying, as for me and my family, we're going to serve God. He's made that decision. He's certain of God and that he will serve him. And that's the thing that we need to say. As for me and my house, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And when you have that certainty on the inside, it doesn't matter what storms are going around on the outside, Jesus is in the boat of your life. And you will stand. A thousand may fall at your left hand and a thousand may fall at your right, but you will stand because you are certain of your God. And that's what we need to have in these days that lie ahead of us. We're not to be afraid. We're not to be afraid. We're to be certain that God is with us. Amen. Father, I just thank you for your word. Lord, you've given us this word.